Hey, what's going on, Mike? How you doing? What's uh, what's what's new in your world? I'm living my best life, man. Uh, doing well. Just grinding, really. I finally got my uh, my MBA diploma in the mail. I saw that, man. I saw that. I saw I saw the post up there, dude. Like now, yeah. now it's official. Now you got to hang it on the wall back there. You got some exactly. black right there, dude. Yeah, cause see, I got I got some military. Oh man, I brought, I got some military. Uh, what do you call it? paraphernalia? That's yeah. not the right word. <laughs> but uh, I got some of that up there. I got I got to throw the uh, NBA up there too, man. But uh, for me, that that was a big success. Uh, something I've always wanted to do, you know, for a very long time. Matter of fact, when I was studying for my undergraduate, I kept telling myself. I will have my MBA before the age of 30. That didn't happen, but I got it. All right. That's the key. So it's something I was uh, um, really looking forward to doing. And I am just, I'm, I'm very thankful that, you know, given everything, all of the opportunities I've had in life, the military was able to afford me the opportunity to get an MBA from a very good school, very great program for free, right? With the GI Bill, right? So uh, I'm, I'm very thankful for it. But yeah, that's, that's the, probably the biggest news as of today. Yo, that's special, man. Are you, did you get two? Like, you, you got to give one to your mom. You know what I mean? Like, and then oh, you can do <laughs> then keep one. You know, keep one for yourself. You know, you could you can order multiple of those things, right? You, I had no idea. I had no you, idea. Yeah, call the school, man, and they'll make you like two. I mean, they're pretty expensive to make the plaques or whatever. Right, but, right. You know, give one to your mom so she can because you know they're the most proud. They don't care. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like they're, they're the ones. I got my diploma for my mom pretty much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, now that I know that, I think I'm gonna order like ten and send them out as like holiday cards. <laughs> <laughs> like, just Merry Christmas, guys. Merry yeah. Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on with you, man? Um. So I, I mean, still got a lot going on. I'm starting to. We're starting to kind of uh, die down and kind of get settled into the battle rhythm a little bit. Um, it's mm -hmm. taken a while, um, but we're, we're honestly, we're, um, I've made a decision to stay in the military a little bit longer. So um, we are trying to uh, build a financial fortress, right? So we're kind of taking a break a little bit from real estate. We still are looking for multifamily in Savannah right now, but um it, the, the market is just hot, man. The market yeah. is just ridiculous. Like, I don't even get a chance to go and, and see the property before somebody already writes a cash deal. And then when I do, and I write an offer or we write an offer, we're, you know, we're trying to use the VA loan for that house hack, right? Um, somebody's coming in with all cash over, over asking. So it's just, Jesus, man, you know, so we're, we're being patient with it. I mean, we're not, you know, we don't have to have the multifamily. It'd just be nice to, it'd just be really cool to get another house hack with, with the VA loan, you know? So Absolutely. that's where we're at right now. Um, and then outside of that, just, just again, trying to, trying to uh, build, build the financial forces. Some of the things that we're doing is uh, like, we just went out to cost our Sam's, right? So I now really feel like an old man. We just went out to Sam's and I just like bulk buyed, you know, <laughs> bulk buyed stuff. So I got a deep freezer and then like, I'm bulk buying like meats. We're going to really try to like, we're playing this game to see how much like expenses we can cut out, you know what I mean? Yeah. So we can uh, dedicate more and more of it to, uh, to, to, you know, just like our guest, Erin Hill is going to talk our, yeah, Erin Hill is going to talk about um, how she can withdraw from her TSP and mm. use that for investing. So we're going to really, really start going extra hard on um, those, those index funds, those, I, my, our IRAs and our, our um, TSP, which is kind of like a 401k for the military. So yeah, man, that's, that's pretty much where we're at. It's, uh, we're, we're changing oh, some things up and uh, I'm really excited, really, really excited to see how this is going to work. So uh, this is the first time where I'm like kind of I'm not like going crazy looking for deals all the time, still getting a real estate license, but right. we're just not going crazy. Like, oh, you know, I'm always itching for a deal. I'm always itching for the next right. thing. So uh, that mind space, freeing up that mind space has been, has been pretty dope, man. It's been really, really cool. I feel like I'm more present around the family, you know, so. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. The hustle and grind is good, but there has to be times of, of reset, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so today's guest Aaron Helly, she's a uh, a West Pointer. She had a little the gray line, I think, on her on her uh, little little sign down there. So um, she's gonna come on and she's dropping knowledge. She so is much. dropping knowledge. It's this is gonna be a great episode. Definitely gotta listen to it. Yeah, man. She she covers everything from you know her journey is eight years in the military, guys. Eight years, um, and then she decided, hey, I'm gonna stop. My my husband, her husband, is still in the service. I'm going to stop. And, but now she battled with, you know, uh, 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 basically her, her opinion of her self, right. Self-reflection, her view of herself. I, she didn't feel like she was a stay at home mom, right. She felt like she was always a go-getter. So how can she contribute? 
She talks about how she got out and in less than three years, accelerated her, accelerated her net worth by over $800,000, acquired over 38 doors, and how she went from purchasing just single families to a whole commercial deal all by herself. So much value in this episode, guys. So we're extremely excited for it. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. Hey, how's it going? This is Dan Wynn and Mike Glassby, and this is the Military Cash Flow Podcast, where we teach service members how to build wealth and create passive cash flow through real estate. We cover real deals, real numbers, and real lessons learned from other successful investors. Now, whether you're watching this on YouTube or you're listening on the podcast, we need you to like, share, and subscribe. Now, let's get started creating this military cash flow. Hey, what's going on, Military Cash Flow? Today we have Erin Helley, and she's going to come on and talk about her awesome experience in real estate. Please, um, welcome to the show, Erin. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate that. Can you please let us know a little bit about yourself, um, where you're from, what you're doing, and uh, what, what you're doing in the real estate space? Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. So I'm Erin Helley. I've been in real estate for about three years. Prior to that, I uh, served in the military for eight years on active duty. Um, I went to West Point, then, then immediately went into the army. I was an engineer officer and I loved it. I had, um, had so much fun. I, I really, so, you know, the people in the military were absolutely my people, um, just naturally connected with military people and, and just was so similar to so many people that I work with. Um, and I say that because I didn't realize really like how different military people were until I got out. Um, but anyway, I got out rather suddenly. We, my husband is still in, we met at West Point and we started, we started to think about ha having a family and we hoped we could do the dual military thing for a while. We, we had a pretty good idea that it wasn't gonna, I wouldn't make it to a full career. We were about seven years when we started trying to get pregnant. I was about seven years. And, um, so we said, you know, we'll ride this out as long as we can. And I was in a pretty good job at the time. Um, I thought I was non-deployable. I was working for the garrison, if, you know, for anyone who's familiar with that. So I thought I was non-deployable, um, was looking forward to just kind of some chill time after my first like seven years were pretty crazy. Um, volunteered for everything, went to every school, went to Iraq and Afghanistan, and I was just ready to chill out for a little bit. And um, we had a baby, we had our first kid, and I went back after maternity leave and my um, I had a meeting with my boss and I came out of that meeting and had orders to go to Afghanistan. And I was, I literally laughed out loud because at that point, I, you know, I just came back to work three days prior. It was so hard to leave my kid and drive 20 miles away. I was like, how am I supposed to go across the, the world? And I knew that I wasn't gonna go. And so I knew that I was not a good soldier. You know, I knew I didn't have any place in the military anymore if I wasn't willing to deploy, that's my job, right? So my husband and I talked that night and I literally resigned the next day. And five months later I was out, which is a really, really quick turnaround. And I had no plan at first. I thought I would become a project manager. And I realized by the time I would commute like an hour to Nashville, we were living, um, we were at Fort Campbell at the time, which is about an hour outside of Nashville. So by the time I did that commute both ways and um, worked, you know, 10 hour day, whatever, I'd never see my kid. It would be an even worse situation. So then I thought I could try to do the stay-at-home mom thing, and I was really bad at that, and I just kind of needed something in the middle. I needed something for myself. I needed to build something. I'd always wanted to get into real estate, and when I bought my first deal, it was really like my motivation was to offset my husband's income. My mentality was, if I'm not bringing anything in, at least I can figure out how to you know, alleviate his burden and get some tax benefits, you know, become a small business owner, which you do if you own one single rental. And so that was my kind of motivation. So we bought the first single family home. And after that, I was absolutely hooked. And I've just been scaling it ever since. So it's been almost three years um, this May. And we now own 38 doors. Our portfolio is probably valued at about 3 million. And we are just getting started. Fantastic. That's fantastic. One thing I want to commend you on is uh, um, the, the move to, I guess, so the new Ar so Army's thing right now is putting people first. Um, and I think we're, we're messaging that because um, oftentimes some, some service members do 
put their career before their family, kind of not, not intentionally thinking that, but just the nature of what we do, the nature of the business. Right. So I, I want to commend you on like taking that time out and really, really thinking uh, and seeing what matters most to you. Um, Cause I think that's a, that's a, a hard decision point. Um, especially you're like, drop of the dime i'm i'm not sure how you got that quick turnaround like that usually it's like a year or so uh once you once you resign so that that's really that's really crazy so what was your mind at during that time when you made that transition you figured out hey five months later it's like it's time to go i gotta i gotta do something else i know you said you tried a few things but what where was your mind at like that and then also what was your uh obviously your husband supported you but what was your husband's i guess mindset at during that time as well Yeah, so that's actually a really good question and something that I think doesn't get talked about enough is how, you know, after you have a kid, after you have kids, your life changes. And I think for women in general, it changes one way and for men in general, it changes another way. And like to go to your comment about like just being able to just drop it and get out, I think that's a lot easier for women to do than for men to do. You know, when we had our, when we had our daughter, our first daughter, my my husband just like put his head down and worked harder than ever. And I was like, I didn't really get it. I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to work harder. I want to do the minimum so I can get home and be with my kids. And and that just got to provide. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it honestly was easy for me to walk away from the military for two reasons. One, because I just was, so I didn't know how like, much my life would change after having a kid. I was always, I've always been type A, I've always been very driven and career oriented. I had no clue that having a baby was going to just like blow my life up. I I just thought I would just have a baby, do maternity leave and go back to work. It wasn't like that for me. And I don't think it's like that for a lot of women, you know, your priorities change so drastic, so drastically. Um, And then for my husband, so it was easy for me to get out because we still had my husband's income and like, he's an amazing provider. He's the reason that we've been able to even, we were even able to get started in real estate because I had no income at the time. And, you know, I always knew that he, he would have my back, like if anything happened. And so most people don't have that luxury. Like most people can't just decide overnight to suddenly stop working. Like that's crazy. And, um, so, you know, I, I truly think that was a luxury that I even had an option to do that. Um, and something I have to remind myself of a lot, you know, especially when I miss my time in the military and I miss kind of having that, like to do, um, you know, structure and things like that. And like, I am truly blessed to even be able to consider being a stay at home mom. And I think any, any mom that has that luxury, it's hard sometimes to see it that way, especially when you're stuck in the monotonous days, especially when your husband is deployed and you have young kids, like, I've been there and that's what my, the beginning of my like stay at home momhood was, was about. And it's really hard, but I have had to, I have to tell myself and train myself to think like that I truly am blessed. I'm in a good position. And no matter what I decide to do, we're not going to be on the streets. And that's, that's really cool um, for a military spouse. Oh, I will say that the, you know, based on this, this entire topic here, the fact that your priorities changed and then all of a sudden your goals and how everything was aligned changed as well. I think people do not really understand that. They don't comprehend that, especially in when they're young, right? Because as you mentioned, you know, West Point graduate straight into the military, obviously you went to West Point with the very clear intent that, hey, I'm gonna go out into the military and do my thing, right? And so for you may have had all of the intentions to do 20, 30 years. And a lot of times when you're starting off your, your career or your journey so young, it's like, hey, very clear path. You know, I'm going to go to college and be a lawyer and I'm going to be a doctor and all these things. And then all of a sudden something changes, right? Regardless if that's a kid, lifestyle, something. And then all of a sudden your priorities change and people tend to panic. There's so many young military servicemen and women um, that, that panic when all of a sudden, oh, no, I, you know, I didn't get promoted when I thought I was or I didn't get to the school or the assignment that I thought I wanted. Now everything's crazy. It's like, no, things change. That's life. You have to be able to adapt. So I really love that. And I think that's extremely uh, important for people to understand because goals when you're 20, all of a sudden seem like uh, jokes, you know, when you turn 30, you're like, damn, what the hell was I thinking? (laughs) So it's important to know. Yeah. Well, and I think when it comes to setting goals, like you, 
I've learned now, you know, I'm 34. I've learned like when I set a goal, it has to be for a reason. Like if I'm going to, if I'm going to take time away from my family or I'm going to work hard on something and commit to something. So, yeah. So I think like, I feel like I used to set goals just to kind of keep up, you know, like I was like, Oh, I, of course I want to get promoted early and like, yeah, that's great. But I think, you know, tie it to the why, like, why do you want to get promoted early is it is it purely financial probably not I I think rarely are military members really motivated financially um I mean obviously you want that stability but I doubt that most people want to be promoted early because of the money so yeah I mean I just think you if you figure out what it's all for and where you're going then it's easy to set those goals and sometimes in the military you can get so wrapped up in this concept of retirement at 20 years or 25 whatever and that's just like that's the end state when realistically you're going to be 45 maybe 50 you're going to be in some prime years your your kids are going to be moved out like you're are you suddenly just going to do nothing all the time it's just kind of not a very good um concept I think so um anyway I have really learned that like every single thing that I do now it needs to be for a purpose later so I don't think I could have even wrapped my head around that when I was like in my early 20s. No, who, who, who really could? I got a follow up question for you, too. And I know we're, we're, we're going to talk about real estate. Trust me, if you're listening, we're going to talk about it. <laughs> we'll get there. I, think, we'll get there. I, I think we. I love this topic because um, every single day I'm still active duty. Right. So every single day um, around the water cooler or whatever, whatever you want to call it, um, I always hear people saying, hey, I'm getting out, I'm about to get out, you know, or um, some people say some people are getting kicked out, right? My, my wife's a JAG, you know, JAG officer. And I hear, I hear, you know, things like, oh, this person's about to get kicked out. This person about to get kicked out. No, no specific names or anything. But um, how did you prepare in such a short period of time? Because I think some people are faced with that. Like, hey, I'm about to get out in six months. Hey, I'm about to get out in, in you know, sometime less than a year, but they're not really, uh, cutting back on expenses or like they don't really have that plan. I mean, what, what, what did you do to prepare yourself in order to actually get out? Yeah, um, that's an easy question. I didn't, I did not prepare myself at all. And I don't know if I was just too busy, like with a young kid and um, my husband deployed like shortly before I got out. So I don't know if I was just, just had too much going on, you know, trying to actually transition. Um, or if I just didn't think it was going to be a big deal. Um, but I will tell you, it was a very big deal. It, I think to the fact that I had multiple transitions at once, like I became a mom, I became a stay at home mom, and then I lost my career. Um, all those things happened at once and it hit me very, very hard. And I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. I didn't know what I needed to do to help me prepare. It probably took me a year, about a year after getting out and a year of just kind of like feeling like stuck in a rut and feeling honestly useless. And I read this article and it was essentially saying the most important thing you can do when you get out in the military is keep your network. It's, you know, do not lose sight of your network. And I realized at that point, like it just clicked for me because I was surrounded by some amazing people. I was surrounded by a bunch of stay-at-home moms. I was volunteering at church. I just like, I was around these great people, but these people were nothing like me, nothing like me. Like I couldn't relate to them on so many levels. They all were loved being stay-at-home moms. They were all homeschooling moms. Like the idea of homeschooling, like literally makes my heart like start racing. It's not for me. Stay-at-home momming is, I, you know, I still kind of stay at home. I work from home it's really hard for me. And I think, you know, being around people that really loved it and were really good at it made me feel bad about myself. And it took me a long time to, to get to the point where I realized like, this is who I am. This is who God made me to be. And it's perfectly fine. And I just needed to strike up a balance and not just be like a victim of my circumstance. And I, somebody had told me like when I was still in the military, prepare yourself. You know, if someone had told me like what you just asked me, like it's probably going to be a pretty rough transition. Like, what are you doing to prepare yourself? I wish I would have done a little bit more and maybe that first year would have been tougher, but to be honest, like just now about three years later, do I feel like I'm truly where I am meant to be? It took me a long time to get here and it took me a long time to make that transition. All right, let's take a quick break. 
I hope you're enjoying this awesome episode. If this episode has got you pumped up and you're looking for more ways to learn, network, and take action, make sure you go over to www.militarycashflow.com where we're doing our absolute best to provide our military community with tons of value. Here's just a few things you'll find when you go to militarycashflow.com. You'll find our books. You'll find the Military Cashflow Facebook group where we have thousands of new and experienced military investors networking and asking and answering questions. You'll find our Military Cashflow real estate investing course that teaches you everything you need to know to buy a cash flowing producing asset. We teach you how to find the deal, how to analyze, how to renovate, how to build your team and maintain that property. You'll find our one-on-one coaching programs. And when you're ready to start taking action and invest, or you're looking just to PCS, we'll even vet and find an investor and military friendly realtor in your area at zero cost to you. So make sure you head over to www.militarycashflow.com to get access to all these great tools. And lastly, and I would almost say most importantly, make sure you share this information with another military member that might find it valuable. All right. And with that said, let's get back into this episode. Love it. Love that. I, I'll say <clears throat> like you, you had to go through various phases in a very short time, very short time. You went from <clears throat> extremely career driven, <clears throat> extremely uh, career driven. And then five months later, all of a sudden civilian life. And even then that three year journey was a roller coaster. Right. There's a book out there by Darren Hardy called The Entrepreneurial Roller Coaster or something like that. I might have messed that up. But nonetheless, that is true. That is a factual statement. Your journey is going to always be so volatile. You have to be able to adapt. There's so many things that you mentioned, like you, 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 you thought you wanted to be a part of the stay at home network. Right. Of the moms. But you realize that wasn't you. You finally accepted who you were. You know, all of a sudden your goals are going, tying back to your why, your purpose, your reason for existing, your reason for doing everything. Understand all of that stuff is a journey. All of that stuff. None of this stuff is easy, right? Because even though you were financially okay because your husband was making money, that's a lot of emotional turmoil, right? That's a lot, Yeah. right? And a lot of people feel lost in this journey. It's part of it. You got to embrace it and just keep going. I think it's something that's understated so much. Everybody thinks numbers, 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 numbers. Oh, I got a door. I got $200. Ah, let's go back to the let's go back to the mindset, right? Let's go back to those emotional feelings too, because it's it will wear you down. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's crazy. So so let's talk um the transition from so, so we went on a wild roller coaster ride, right? And now we've settled on real estate. What what was that transition like? Um, and how did you actually first start it? How did you get introduced to it? And then we can start talking about maybe that first deal, how you finance it, and things like that. Yeah, so I, you know, was always intrigued by real estate. Um, I've always been around construction. My family is a, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people in construction. Um, so I thought flipping was going to be the thing for me. Uh, so when I first started looking for a deal, I looked at distressed properties. And by the time that I, I, I really started looking on the MLS and I went to look at, you know, anything that seemed undervalued. I took, had a realtor take me and I would go look at these houses and we, I would like do the math. And I was like, I don't, you know, by the time that I pay for all this stuff and like bring it up to market, it's going to be more than it's actually worth. And I, I was like, I don't understand how this, how people make money. I was, I was just really confused. Um, I didn't know, I didn't know anything about wholesaling at the time. I didn't know that there was like off market properties. I had no idea. So I ended up settling on a new construction home in Clarksville, Tennessee, right outside of Fort Campbell. And it's, I bought it like a couple months before, um, before it was done being built, which was great because it gave me a little bit of time. I, I got a tenant in on day one, like literally drove from closing to um, the house, had the tenant. Well, first I went and made copies of the keys. Then I had the tenant sign the lease that same day. And it, he's that same tenant's been in there ever since. And I also didn't know that typically buying a new construction home is not a good investment or not typically considered a good investment. Um, people have t- told me that re- in recent years, but I still still don't necessarily agree with them. Of all my 38 doors, that's probably the one that I feel best about. And I think that do, for somebody like me, who's like pretty high stress and you know, an anxious person, doing that deal first 
was the best thing that could have happened because it made me want to do another one because I put a tenant in there. I knew everything in there was brand new. I knew everything in there was under warranty. I didn't worry about that house for one second. And it was a, it was, it's probably like a B plus class house in a great neighborhood. It's like the smallest house in one of the best neighborhoods, good school district. Um, so it's been a great experience from day one and we've raised the rent every year that they've renewed. So twice now they've done a renewal. So we're cash flowing over $300 on that new build home and they're paying down the mortgage. Um, so yeah, it's such a great, such a great experience. My only, I wouldn't even say regret because I've, I've said this wrong before, but I paid, we just got regular, you know, conventional bank financing on this house. So we had to bring 20% down plus all the closing costs. So we were all in at like $65,000 and that was all I had. <laughs> I had like $65,000 in a savings account. And, you know, like I told you, we had just had a kid. I wasn't really willing to like go and in any more than that. And I was like, okay, great. I'm hooked on this, this home buying thing. Like I want to scale my portfolio, but I was like, I don't have any more money. What am I supposed to do now? So I, I, you know, since then I've done a couple of flips where, you know, I only had to bring like $20,000 to the table. So could have taken that $60,000 and done three deals with it and maybe turned that 60,000 into a hundred, hundred plus thousand dollars. And so anyway, that would be like the only thing I might do differently, but I also think I learned so much from that process. It made me so confident in the whole concept of real estate investing and just the systems that um, I'm not sure I would ever do differently. Yeah. A lot of times it's just that proof of concept, regardless of what the deal is for the most part. I mean, obviously if you, if you have a horrible experience, that's going to change your mindset a little bit, but for the most part, when you can prove the concept, regardless of um, the other circumstances, that's going to give you the confidence you need to push into the next deal. And, and I think uh, a lot of people take that for granted when they go through the analysis paralysis phase, right? They just stuck in uh, it has to meet this specific criteria. It has to be perfect. I have to cash flow exactly this amount. Well, sometimes, you know, just doing that first deal, if you can cash flow a little bit, and even if you lose a little bit of money, I think Mike has a great story about that, right? Um, even if you lose a little bit of money, you 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 learn something from it, right? It's it's an education. You're investing in yourself, and at the end of the day, you have an asset over through time. Typically, you know, the, the home will appreciate in value. You can always make that, you can always make that money back. So um, kudos to you for actually just taking action uh, and, and getting into it, regardless if it was a new construction or not. And yeah. glad it's working out perfectly for you. So yeah. that's awesome. And, and I will, I will yeah. say that typically people will, they hear what the audience around them says, right? People mm -hmm. told you that the new construction wasn't a good idea. People told you you shouldn't do a 20% yep. down payment. People have have opinions for days, right? They're going to tell you what you yeah. should do, what you shouldn't do. And you decided to trust your gut and go with something that was against the norm, but it actually worked out very well for you. So I, I encourage the audience to do your own research. If you know the numbers like you did, you knew what you were getting into, you were able to make what could be considered a bad investment actually turn out very well for you. I mean, like for, it's, I always go back to the Warren Buffett. When others are greedy, or, you know, you should be fearful. And when those are fearful, you should be greedy. If you're listening to the audience and, and you know, and following the norms, you're no better than them. <laughs> like you're going to have the exactly. same growth that the society. Yeah. You're, you're, I tell people that all the time when they say, you know, somebody said this, my uncle said this, my dad said this. And I say, listen, does your dad have a real estate portfolio valued at how, you know, $6 million? Exactly. If that's your goal. And they're like, no. I'm like, then why are you listening to him? Like what? He's not on the same path as you. And that's, and that's motivation right there. Like get off the path that everyone else is on because we're not getting anywhere. <laughs> that, that is key. It's crazy that you say that because when I first started investing, right, I did my first, like my first single family. And then uh, I did, a did a four unit. Right. And I, I didn't really tell a lot of people everything. Right. So when I went and talked to some family members they were, uh, and I was telling them, Hey, I, you know, I'm starting to do real estate and da, 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 da. They're like, don't, don't do that. You're going to lose your, I'm like, well, I've already done some deals, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm already, and I'm already cash flowing. I'm like, oh, well, you know, right. You know, and I, you know, I, there's this like whole concept and my sister is like the worst. She, she thinks talking about income is like so taboo and so horrible. And I'm like way more forthcoming. And to me, it's like black and white. And I like, I'm like, 
this is my portfolio. This is what it's done for me. This is what it's done for my family. And I, uh, this is a story I like to tell because I don't feel like this offends people for some reason. When you tell people how much money you make, it somehow becomes offensive. But I, this is my, my story. So when I left the army after eight years on active duty where I was a diligent saver and a, you know, a decent investor in terms of like contributing to my PSP and having um, Roth IRA and things like that, I, my net worth was $120,000. So that was after eight years of being a professional. I was 30 years old. On 34 two now. With two incomes. Two, exactly, right? Two incomes. So now I'm 34. So less than four years later, my net worth is over $900,000. Like I'm almost a millionaire. And because I've been in real estate for three years, there's nothing I could have done when I got out of the army. Even if I got, you know, a six, I had a six figure income, even if I was paid like the most money you could make in Nashville, Tennessee, like I had the highest paying job and was willing to make that commute and do all that and saved every penny of that, I still wouldn't have the same worth as I, same net worth as I do now. And so that to me is like the most compelling thing about real estate. Like there's no other industry you can have this kind of return. And, and it's not going anywhere. Like it's not like I just invested in Bitcoin and suddenly I, you know, almost became a millionaire. Like it's not going anywhere. So that to me is where the power in real estate is. And I have actually never taken a paycheck, never one time. I mean, we've, I use like business, my business account to pay for like our cell phone and things like that, but I've never taken a paycheck. Um, and it just all goes back into continuing to scale that portfolio and, you know, we can benefit from it many, many years from now. You know, they say 90% of millionaires are made through real estate, right? You got to love it. Exactly. It's the power of real estate. The one thing that you said is talking about income is considered taboo in society. And I have to address that because you know the difference between the wealthy and the middle class is that the wealthy, they're having these conversations. Yep. They're talking about finances. They're talking about strategies with real estate, with insurance, with whatever. And that's the gap that we are trying to fill. We're trying to figure out why the hell the average uh, you know, serviceman or woman cannot become what, no, bull. We can all be wealthy. We have to have those conversations. We can't live by those uh, traditional, you know, taboo uh, standards to say, hey, we can't talk about money at, at, the, at the dinner table. No. And so I, I love the fact that um, you're willing to face that, right? You're willing to face that that societal norm and challenge it. And I challenge everybody who's listening, do the same thing. We got to have these conversations. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. You know, I, well, and I think I, I'm super extra compelled at having two little girls. I'm, um, I've been working on a doctorate for about four years now. And my dissertation is on the psychology of investors, particularly mm. women investors. Yeah, I mean, I've been working on this thing for a year, so hopefully I'll be done soon. Um, but the entire literature review is 30 pages of, you know, experts talking about this. And across the board, the consensus is that women lack confidence in investing, self-proclaimed and, you know, just from all different sources. And But, but ultimately what it comes and when you look at the results, women are better investors than men because they typically look, they play the long game. They're not, they're not afraid to leave things in stock for a while. They don't, you know, they don't trade as often. Um, and then they typically have less money to invest because they're not in the, they're not in the workforce for as long because for whatever reason. And so, you know, and ultimately what they all contribute, not all, but majority of them contribute this lack of confidence to is not having the conversation and their parents not teaching them how to save, how to invest, why to do it. And that to me is so compelling because women live longer than men. Like women need to invest differently and have, you know, and, but they should absolutely have confidence in it. They shouldn't be stressed about it. And um, I'm super compelled as a, as a woman, but also as a mom to two girls, like I want my girls to know, like, there's no reason you can't invest just as well as the man next to you. And you don't need a man to do your investing for you. I think a lot of people think that too. So anyway, I, I could not agree more. And I think that that is one thing that I'm not sure will ever change, but hopefully it will. <laughs> what you're saying is just women are better than men all around, right? <laughs> I mean, I didn't say that. <laughs> she said, hey, say women are better than men without actually saying it. And bam. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. No, it's just funny though, too, because even when you tell women that, they're like, really? They're like blown away. They're like, I did better. I performed better. And a lot of times they beat the market too, which, you know, is always the goal. That's amazing. I, I love the fact that you're, 
also a testament to your constant pursuit for knowledge. The fact that not only did you do your, do your thing at West Point, do your thing in the military, do your thing on the investing side, you're still pursuing a doctorate degree, but not even needing it, right? Not, not yeah. needing it for a professional advancement. Just doing it. So I just wanted to, kudos to that. Just throw that Thank out there you. for everybody <laughs> listening. An- another reason why women are better than men, I mean. Exactly. <laughs> saying it without saying it. Hey, so uh, so that's for that first deal, let's, let's uh, dissect this a little bit, right? So um, what were some of the difficulties that you had? Uh, I know you mentioned some how you financed a little bit. Was that like actually that, that uh, 65 that you had to bring to the table, was that all cash? Do you withdraw any from your TSP? Like, w- let's go over some of the specifics of that. Just so, just kind of break that down and, and then big t- um, a big emphasis on the lessons learned through that deal. Cause I'm sh- maybe it was just seamless and super, super easy, but I assume there were a few late nights and you might've had a couple headaches and things like that, especially as you're self-managing. It seems like you're self-managing based off what you said, uh, getting that tenant and making the copies of the keys. So can we, can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, so um, going through the process from what I remember was pretty straightforward because it was a new build. Um, we, we offered full price, so a lot of people don't realize this, but builders typically aren't willing to um, come off their price much because they largely decide the comps, right? So like if they give you a discount on this house, three months later, their price could still be affected by this one sale. So typically builders aren't willing to come off their price too much. Um, And so if you kind of realize that, I think the power of that is to offer full price, but ask for other things. So I, and my realtor taught me that at the time. So I offered full price, but asked for a privacy fence and I asked for blinds and they said yes, like literally instantly. And we were under contract and it still needed like two and a half or three months before it was going to be done and ready to close. And so had a lot of time, obviously before that I did sort of an analysis on how much rent we could get and things like that. But I had a lot of time to really figure that part of it out, how, figure out how I was gonna find a tenant. Cause I, I did self-manage in the beginning. I don't now, we've moved twice since, um, but when I was still living there, I was self-managing. And um, I was able, my realtor actually found me this tenant and she, you know, she was like, you know, I can help you find a tenant. I was like, cool, like, how do I pay you? And she was like, you can just pay me whatever you feel like you should pay me. And I, I was like, I don't even know what that means. Like, is it $5? Is it $5,000? Like I had no idea. So I had to do a little bit of research on that. And I want to say I ended up paying her like three fifty dollars or something, um, which is probably low. Um, and I think the standard in that area is like two fifty dollars for a property manager to find you a tenant, but she wasn't a property manager. So anyway, I, she found me the tenant. Um, we went to closing the first time and it was both me and my husband's name on the loan and on the deed. And he was deployed. So I needed to get a power of attorney. We went to closing. I was like pretty anxious about it. And they didn't like the power of attorney for some, I can't remember the details, but the power of attorney wasn't sufficient for this title company. And so I couldn't get a hold of my husband. I, I didn't have any way to like, just call him. And so we left closing, not really sure like what was going to happen. And I thought that was a sign. I was like, maybe this is a sign I shouldn't pursue this. I shouldn't do this. You know, I let everybody else's um, opinion cloud, cloud my decisions. I went home. I like had got no sleep that night and I was just kind of freaking out. And then I had the title company draft up the power of attorney, had my husband get it signed and everything, get it back. And we tried again and it was totally fine. Um, closed no problem. Ended up working out better because the tenant was there ready to sign that day. And, you know, since then we've, he's been in that, him and his family have been there. Managing that was um, definitely an experience. I had, at the time I had like a two-year-old and I was pregnant and it's a Korean family who work for LG. They speak very little English. And um, she would call me at like, not crazy hours, probably like 8 PM. And she'd be like, I can't get the garage door to open. And I'd go over there and like, literally, you know, the garage door just fell off the runner and just like pulled the string and connected again. And then another time she was like, I can't open this door. And it was brand new construction. So, you know, things were a little sticky. And so she was like, I can't open the door. And she's like trying to turn the knob, but she's this tiny little Korean lady. And I like literally grabbed the doorknob and just turned it. 
And she was like, oh, she was so embarrassed because she just wasn't turning it hard enough. And I was like, I don't think management is the place for me. <laughs> and was like toting my two-year-old around with me and my big pregnant belly. I, like, I was like, this is not, you know, isn't going to sustain itself. But we ended up moving to um, California a couple, a couple months after that. And maybe a year after that, that was the best thing that could have happened to me because I had to outsource. I had to hire a property manager. I had bought um, a 10 unit like right as we were leaving. And so I hired a property manager for that one too. And so I had her take over the store as well. Best thing that I ever could have done professionally because it allowed me to not do those sorts of things and just freed up my time a lot. I love uh, the one thing that you said that I wanted to highlight. <clears throat> You said you didn't know how much you had to pay her, so you, you did some research. You, do you know how many investors don't research any damn thing? <laughs> like before they ask the question, or they don't research before they ask the question. They just start calling like, hey, how do I uh, write a check? Or whatever it is. It's like, bro, just Google. <laughs> yeah. Like do something. Yeah, so true. Uh, I know so you I like it. almost feel silly like asking questions, but I mean, if you don't ask, you're never gonna know. You have you have to do the research. I love that, and I mean, so you had a this amazing this amazing experience, right? With having self doubt on the actual purchase, finally closing on it, <clears throat> having a great tenant that you had to explain how to open a doorknob to. Gotta <laughs> love it, and then you you started to scale very quickly because you got 38 doors in three years, and the audience doesn't know this. And honestly, I'm sure we, we didn't even interact too much, but you presented a deal to me in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Now, you've never lived in Fayetteville, did you? Uh, so, I did for a short period of time, but not okay. when I was wholesaling. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, so yeah, not when you were wholesaling. So I, I came across your name in a deal that you presented in Fayetteville. So you went from buying a new construction home, tenant that doesn't speak English, you can't open a doorknob, to 38 doors and actually spreading your wholesaling business across several states and several markets. So how did that journey look? What was the progression from deal one to, to now? Yeah, so it was um, a lot of like starting here, trying to get here and just going like all over the map. And <laughs> I kind of know now like wholesaling and flipping isn't really contributing to my goal. Like my goal is to build a lucrative real estate portfolio. And so I'm not, I'm not really wholesaling anymore. I'm not really flipping anymore. Um, and I think that's a testament to like figuring out, you know, what, what you're working for. And I, I say that because I essentially spent a year flipping and hardly bought any doors in that period of time. I spent about seven months wholesaling, like exclusively wholesaling, didn't buy a single door in that time. It's just, they're just time consuming tasks, right? And I just, I looked at my bank account and I was like, okay, great. Like I've beefed up my bank account, but I didn't buy any doors. I haven't really like, you know, scaled my portfolio. So anyway, to my, to kind of like tell you how that happened, I did, um, my second deal was a flip. I, my husband deployed another time. I sold my car, drove his truck while he was gone. And I used that money to buy a seller financed house, did a flip. I put all, I did the, the work myself. And me and my dad did, and I put all, I put it all on a credit card <laughs> and um, it was like a super, it was super easy flip, like $25,000 house. We got financed, um, seller finance, they asked for 12.5 down. And then the whole entire renovation was like under 15 K and we did most of it ourselves. Like I said, then we sold it and I, I made like 13,000. Um, so I turned like the 25 K that I had from selling um, my car to almost 40,000. And then I was able to do the next one. And then I tapped into the concept of IRA, like self-directing your IRA. And I bought a duplex with that. Um, then we sold our personal residence and was able to, I, we had been like paying double mortgage payments while we were living there, um, knowing I was probably going to get out of the army. So we had a good deal of equity, a little over a hundred thousand dollars. And then I put that into a 10 unit, um, but anyway, I'm kind of getting off topic. So I, I did some flipping for a while. I just was really intrigued by the returns. You know, I was looking at what I was making in my real estate portfolio. And I was, like I was saying, I, I never really, I never took a paycheck. And it's, you know, even with 38 doors, when you're talking about like 100 to $300, $400 per door, that's really still not a lot of money. And so I was like, oh, I could do a flip. And in six months I can make 20,000. And I was like super intrigued by that. And so... I dove into that and 
it was fun. I learned a ton, but it was exhausting. It was like emotionally draining, physically draining. And also it's a full-time job to flip because your phone never stops ringing, whether you're down the street or across the country. And at that time I was across the country. So anyway, I, I, at the beginning of coronavirus was stuck under like a $700,000 home in Nashville. I did the renovation. The renovation was not done very well. I lost a contract in February. The buyer walked away after the inspection. Sent a contractor back in there, another $20,000 to do, you know, to fix all the things that came up on the inspection. Then coronavirus hit right as I was trying to refinance it because my loan term was running out at that point. And I lost $30 a square foot overnight. When I initially got appraised, appraised it appraised at 690. The day after COVID, $600,000 even. And I panicked, I freaked out. And that was definitely an anomaly. Like that shouldn't have happened. And I should have contested that appraisal, but I just kind of freaked out. And I, you know, everyone at that point was like, who knows what's going to happen? The whole market's about to bottom out. Like the, the stock market's going to tank. And then two quarters later, real estate's going to tank. And for 10 days, not one soul set foot in that house. So I had it on the market. Nobody stepped in the house because of coronavirus. So I ended up selling that house that what appraised initially at 690 for $525,000. And, and this, I, really, really quick, this was a single family. I'm, it sounds like a single a, family. I just want to make sure. Yeah, okay. a single family home in Green Hills, um, Nashville, which is, is like a pretty affluent neighborhood there. Um, really high end flip, definitely the highest end flip I've ever done. And I gladly sold it and at a loss and just to get out from under it. And I'm not sure I'll ever flip it. And that I'll never flip that like type of house again. It's just too risky. I just got too excited. I could have made over a hundred thousand dollars on that house. And instead I lost like 25. So um, anyway, I, so that was like really compelling for me. While all that was happening, a couple of my classmates started up a wholesaling business and they asked me to come on board with them. And so I worked with them for the majority of, 2020 and then again I kind of realized like we were working our butts off like I was working like 12 plus hours a day dealing with crazy sellers crazy situations and it just was not my cup of tea so when things got really hard I'll never forget the day that we found out that AT or I don't know I think it was Verizon no longer would let us text we like couldn't text any Verizon people like suddenly overnight and that was like our main you know, outbound marketing was texting. And, you know, me and my other three partners came together and just had this like really honest conversation. Like, what are we going to do? We got to take care of our people. Like, but it's, it's getting even harder. It was kind of, it was getting hard before that too. Kind of what I realized is like wholesaling never gets easier. Like it is a grind all the time, no matter what. And it's just not what I wanted to do. And so I just essentially, they bought me out at that point and um, I walked away and nothing changed right like I at my I wasn't really making a lot of money with them and I still had all my other real estate um, income and so suddenly I went from working like 12 plus hour days to like having nothing to do I had all this childcare lined up and I was like now what am I gonna do <laughs> and I um, you know I was able to walk away from that very easily because of you know this foundation that I built and then I just got right back to scaling and I think I bought eight doors um, since then, that was like in October, so three, four months ago. So, but again, like doing that wholesaling, I didn't buy a single door while I was wholesaling. And I kept saying, I'm going to buy one of these deals one of these days. I'm going to buy a deal one of these days. And I just never did because I was too busy selling these deals. So yeah, exactly. Just had my head down. And so anyway, I'm like back on track and I, I hope that I will never <laughs> let myself get distracted like that again. Yeah, you, you just unpack a lot. Um, so we went over the journey basically um, from go doing your single family. And then we went to uh, you, you did, uh, I think you said a 10 unit next and you got work, excuse me, you did some wholesaling, flipping next, built some cash reserves, then went into bought. I think you bought a, a multifamily after that. And then I guess you did a couple flips and then you partner with some other people. Like, so, so let's talk about the, um, the, the first commercial deal, right? So you, you did some wholesaling, you did some flipping in order to build that cash. And then, and you also use some of your TSP, I think you said, 
in order to uh, for some more cash, did the self uh, TSP into self-directed IRA, and then took that money and went and bought that that, that commercial deal. Am I saying this correctly? I used um, the IRA to buy a duplex in Illinois. I never I never saw it, um, but the the ten unit commercial deal was mostly some of it was TSP and then most of it was the proceeds from the sale of our personal residence at the time. Okay. All right. So let's, let's break down one of these deals. Let's break down one of these deals. What did, what did it look like? Um, I'm really interested in your first commercial property because that transition is very tough for a lot of people. Um, and I know it's a completely different ball game. Uh, I know Mike plays in that space a lot and um, yeah, I'd love to love to hear about it. Yeah, so um, the 10 unit, I, this was January of, so two Januarys ago of 2019. I'd only been investing for like eight months or so. And I was doing the White Feather um, Investor course. I don't know if you guys know the White Feather guys, they're um, Marines. And um, Buddy Rushing um, and Greg Namrau. And so Buddy was kind of, kind of took me like under his wing. And I showed him this 10 unit and I was like, oh, you might be interested in this. And he was like, um, why don't you offer on it? And I was like, you're like me. I have been doing this for eight months. Like who am I to offer on a 10 unit apartment building? And he was like, just offer on it. Like what's the worst that can happen? He taught me how to you know, offer without risk and make sure I had the right contingencies and all that. And I was like, okay. I was like laughing at him. And so it was in, it's right across the street from Port Campbell. It's 10 separate houses. Um, it doesn't even have a driveway. It's like has an easement with um, Tennessee gun country. And I say that because I think a lot of people who've been to Campbell will know exactly where this is. This little oasis behind it right off of Fort Campbell Boulevard. So 10 separate houses, little A-frame, like look like little teepees. And when I first went out there, I kind of did a drive-by the first time. And I was like, hmm, this is cute. It was kind of rough. Um, and I was a little bit hesitant to kind of pursue it. Um, it was listed at gosh, like 570, I want to say. And the listing agent was also the seller. And I was the, I was an agent at the time. And so I said, you know, I'm going to try to go and negotiate this on my own behalf, not take a commission, you know, not take my 3% and just essentially get a 3% discount. So I immediately met her. The next time I went out there, I met the the agent also the seller which made things so much more straightforward like negotiations were so it was actually really fun like to see this whole thing play out and the exact way that buddy taught me how to how to do it how to like build rapport and get her to know and like and trust me and get her to like believe in what i wanted to do with the property and so she had bought it a couple years prior for like 300 something they were about to demo this property after the owner died and like nobody wanted it and so she got it somehow from him tried to flip it she kind of did it on her own but um it was still really rough and you know metal roofs that they would just tar and seal every every year every two years like she was spending astronomical amount of money on on sealing these roofs and I was like why didn't you just replace the roofs anyway so went through it was like five um, five month process from like offering to like, okay, we can actually get this deal done. Like the bank just took forever to give me an answer and to figure it out. I used this local bank. Like the, the man was like the slowest, he's like the sloth from those Disney movies. Like I couldn't even believe how, I was like, are we like, are we ever gonna get this done? But anyway, it was actually good how long it took because it just allowed me to really see every part of the process. So I offered full price minus the 3% commission. I don't remember what that dollar amount was. Then we went and we did the inspection and I negotiated based on the inspection and like a, a million things came back. Like imagine an inspection report for 10 individual homes. Like it was tons and tons of stuff. Essentially asked for money for the roof and some of the HVAC units. That's about it. And um, everything else was just like kind of little details. I ended up getting her down to 518 and we closed shortly after that. And then we, it appraised, I want to say it appraised at 545 at the time. And so this was like June, this was about 18 months ago. And so we were at a 575 interest rate, adjustable rate, it adjusts at 10 years. 
And then when coronavirus hit and interest rates went down, we asked the banker, the bank, if we could refinance. And they said, sure. And then they came back and they said, you know, we want you to pay a couple more months. Come to us in the fourth quarter of 2020. So we did. And we got, we're just refinancing now. We should actually cash out next week. Um, and we got a 5% interest rate, still the same term. We're still at a 20 year, you know, we have like less than 18 years left on the note, but they went from 5.75 down to 500. We did another appraisal. The appraisal initially came back at 610. I was pretty surprised by that. I contested that. We got them up to 670. So a year and a half ago, it appraised for 540. Now it's 670. We have redone half of the roof. That's been our first priority because a lot of them have active leaks. So we did half the roof and then we did the interiors after we did the roof. So it's essentially halfway flipped. So our motivation to do the refinance was just to be able to finish the, um, the entire thing. And so we'll cash out about $120,000 um, here in the next week, finish that, and then finally have a reserve fund for that property. Cause literally like we've just been doing it as we went. And when I bought it, I had like $12,000 in like the CapEx account. And that's, it constantly dips down to like six or 7,000 and then we get the rents. And um, so anyway, it's been, it's been kind of touch and go, uh, but it's been cool to just kind of see that, that it's becoming a different place. And we're getting, we're getting really good tenants in there that, that really like the community aspect of it. And, um, you know, once we're done with these roofs, now we have these cute red roofs on them. We're like staining the, the decks, like kind of a reddish color. And it's just really coming back to life. Um, and it's, it's just cool to see, like, it's just a little bit of work here and there. I've got, I found some really great vendors. I have a tenant out there that's kind of like the mayor and he reports to me on how things are going. And, um, it's, I'm just blown away that like, I, I have, I own 10 houses and have been able to increase the value and, and give people like a cool place to live. And then influence a community. That's so, that's so strong. I, I, I talk about that a lot because I, I've, I've uh, flipped an, or turned around another uh, property before, and it's pretty much the same thing. Like all the tenants, they they kind of, uh, you, you drive by and you see them, I know they, they got the uh, the porch, like really nice. They put like lights up for Christmas and things like that. And it's like, man, you know, I was here last Christmas and it looked like crap, you know? And now you're, you're yeah. many people are taking pride in where they live. And then, yeah, it's just an, it's just an awesome feeling. That's great. That's great. Yeah. I, I love the, uh, <clears throat> that's the thing about real estate, right? Yes, real estate is great financially for the owner, but when you actually take care of the property and things like that, you you're providing um, so much value to the other individual. Think about you know, and, and I don't know exactly how you grew up, but I'm sure some people that are listening, you may have been you know in a house where you had a bad landlord, right? Where your parents had to negotiate with a bad landlord or, or slumlord, and so you know the direct effect of that. At the same time, you may have grown up in an apartment complex and you understand the good value of having that environment around you, playing in the parking lot or whatever it is. That's that's the position you're in now as a landlord, right? And so I, I love that. And a lot of people are listening, like, oh, whoa, 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 you got ten units for five hundred thousand? Yeah, yeah, it's out and there. And I didn't have a job. I didn't even have a W-2. Like I had no income. And, and at the time I had very little confidence in myself. I was, I considered myself nothing but a stay-at-home mom. And I, I know how ridiculous that sounds. And so the point I'm trying to make is like, if I can do it, so can you. Like absolutely anyone can do it. And, and the fact that you said that you felt like all you were was a stay-at-home mom. Um, obviously me and dad aren't women. But I can, I was raised by a single mother. I understand some of the uh, confidence issues that women face. And I'm, you've touched on it a million times through this podcast. And again, I want to encourage all of the female listeners to, to rewind and reach out to you because it's so important for, for them to understand that you're very capable of doing all of the damn things, all of them, yeah. <laughs> right? There is no separation. So well, I, I really we've already said it. that women are better than men. I mean, right? Without yeah, you said it several times. <laughs> you matter, you said it. Several, the, the, the poster in the background, I see it. No, I'm uh, so okay. So um, we we covered a bunch of stuff, and obviously this podcast is a little bit longer than than most of our other episodes, but it's so much value in here. Now, what is like one piece of advice that you'd give out to, to anybody, somebody just really wanting to get started or maybe just not in the right mental space? What's one piece of advice that you would give them? I would just say, get after it. 
you know, put some goals on paper and then ruthlessly pursue them. And if, you know, if it's in real estate, great, because I think that if you, if you're in the buy and hold game, even if you buy wrong, like even if you buy over, over value, or maybe don't make the best investment, if you hold on to that asset long enough and you take, treat that asset right, like you will win. It's not if it's, it's, you will, you know, and that's what all these, all these real estate moguls and all these people that are making it in real estate, they tell you it's about action. It's whether you do or you don't. It's not even about choosing the right investment or even choosing the right asset class. Like you can make money anywhere. So just get out there and do it. Fantastic. Hey, how can our listeners get in contact with you? Yeah. So um, I would love it if anyone reached out, DM me on Facebook um, or Instagram at Facebook. I'm at the Aaron Helly. And Instagram, it's um, at the Aaron Helly underscore RE Investor Coach. Um, I also have a website, bcglobalinvestments.com, or you can email me, Aaron, E R I N, at bcglobalinvestments.com. I love it, man. I, everybody needs to reach out. Everybody needs to follow you on all the social media platforms. And I, and I love it. I always say, you know, you're official when you have the in front of the name, <laughs> like, like yeah. hey, no, there's nobody else. I'm one of a the, kind. The Barbara Corcoran does that. And I basically want to be, you know, the queen Next of real estate someday. So I'm like, I'm going to do everything she does. <laughs> I love it. Smart. Hey, success leaves clues. <laughs> Hey, thanks so much for coming on, Aaron. I really appreciate it. You've, you've just dropped a ton of value for everyone that's listening, regardless of what, um, you know, especially any of the any of the mothers out there that are kind of going through that transition, figuring out what they want to do and just transitioning soldiers as well. So I really appreciate uh, your time and, and thank you for touching on those, uh, those things. Um, Please, everybody reach out. Make sure you, you do reach out. Hit that like button um, and make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you're if what you're hearing um, is adding value to your life, do us a favor. Leave us a, an honest five-star review. Honest five-star review. Just put five stars in there. Leave us an honest review on um, um, whatever you're listening to on podcasts. Uh, we really appreciate that. Um, and with that said, uh, this is Dan Wynn. And Mike Glassby. Signing off.